teens run down in Abbotsford. Why police believe it was deliberate and the childhood prank that may have preceded it. What happened for somebody to freak out that much? Plus, an ugly confrontation goes to court. This is my country! What a witness says about this heated altercation and the shocking words the accused allegedly said. A new stadium floated for Surrey. Council is looking to add a 12,000-seat stadium or arena in Surrey soon. How Mayor Brenda Locke wants to build the city's reputation as a sports and entertainment destination. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Two teens are recovering tonight after a shocking incident that was caught on camera. The kids were apparently chased and deliberately run down by a speeding driver in Abbotsford. Alyssa Thibault reports and, the, and a warning, the images in this story are disturbing. You almost have to see it to believe it. From the end of the street, three teens running for their lives. A car comes into frame, chasing at high speed. We're stopping the audio here, so you can't hear the screams. Nearly 20 minutes later, one child is wheeled away on a stretcher. This happened around 3pm Wednesday at Carlsruhe Avenue and Victoria Street. Police say two victims, who were teenagers, suffered minor injuries. A third teen wasn't hurt. You can kill someone like so like that. It can be your kid, her kid, anybody's kid here, right? Intentionally using a vehicle to, uh, as a weapon uh, is something that we do not um, tolerate here. Security camera footage shows an adult man being led away by paramedics. Police say the driver stayed at the scene and was arrested. It's unbelievable that a driver ran over somebody like a kid just, just like that. The question now is what could possibly lead up to this? Investigators say there was some kind of argument and that the teens may have been knocking on doors and running away. We have heard reports that there was uh, a possibility that they were playing Nikki Nine, Nikki, Nikki Nine Doors, uh, yet because we still have to talk to some witnesses, we can't confirm that as a fact. On the video, one of the teens is heard crying and saying it was a harmless prank. I don't think there's ever a reason to do that to kids especially when they look that young. The car drove off the street, chasing the teens up a walkway, stopping just metres away from a playground. By Thursday afternoon, city crews were installing a bollard at the entrance to prevent vehicles driving into this area again. All right, Alyssa Tipo joins us now live from the scene. As we saw in your story, Alyssa, it's a very narrow pedestrian path, but the city is taking more measures to make it safer. Yeah, and you just saw there in the pack. Sophie, I want to show you where this was. So behind me here is that narrow walkway. The car came from the street on the other side, drove down that walkway and came to stop right at the edge of the white fence that you can see behind me. City crews this afternoon installing that bollard to prevent any more vehicles from driving into that area again. As for the driver, he has been released pending the results of an investigation. We're told that charges will likely be recommended to Crown Council, but that won't be happening until next week. Sophie? All right, thanks for that. Alyssa Tebow reporting live in Abbotsford.
A bail hearing date has been set for the Vancouver Island men charged with murder after a deadly hit and run in Courtney. Just before 11 p.m. last Thursday, police were called to the Comox Valley Parkway where a cyclist had been hit by a pickup truck. Rodney Kelly died in hospital from his injuries. On Monday, 45-year-old Stephen Squires of nearby Cumberland was charged with first-degree murder and failing to stop after an accident causing death. He remains in custody and is due back in court February 29th. The RCMP has formed a national team to address the wave of extortion attempts against South Asian businesses across the country, including here on the Lower Mainland. Our Cassidy Moscone is live in Surrey with more on the coordinated effort. Cassidy. Yeah, it's called the National Coordination and Support Team, Sophie, and it's been led by officers here in BC. Essentially, RCMP have noticed a disturbing trend, a shocking and similar instances of extortion taking place around the country, and they've had enough of victims being targeted by uh, letters, uh, phone calls or social media, and then demanded to pay up big sums of money or pay the price and be met with violence. Now, this new National Alliance its role is to solely support and enhance ongoing investigations, not take over them. Federal officers are already working with police departments here in BC, Alberta, Ontario and even overseas to identify similar crimes. And I want uh, to assure everyone uh, that the RCMP will be doing everything they can, uh, not only to, get, to find the individuals, uh, but to be able to build a case and prosecute them and put them away for a long time. We discourage anyone from complying with demands for money. However, we are concerned in those jurisdictions as already detailed, there may be individuals who have received threats and not come forward to police. Now, the advice to victims is always come forward to police. We know there has already been some arrests made from these investigations, but authorities are remaining tight-lipped on some of the organisations they believe to be involved. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. Cassidy Moscone reporting live in Surrey tonight. A trial is underway for the woman charged in connection with a disturbing confrontation outside a North Vancouver sushi restaurant. It apparently started over a dog urinating on the business and, according to today's testimony, escalated into racial insults. Erin MacArthur reports. You're Ecuador lady. This is my country. I'm not, I don't have a country yeah, to this go This is back my to. country too. This An ugly incident country. caught on a cell phone camera. The altercation, the result of a dog allegedly being allowed to urinate at the front of a North Vancouver call business. Okay, okay. Please call the okay. police. The altercation was shared with Global News and then the police. After witnesses came forward, 71-year-old Sylvia Taylor is facing one count of causing a disturbance. Taylor does not have a criminal record. Judge Lindsay Smith has set aside two days for this matter. And while what was on the cell phone video is alarming, according to eyewitnesses, what happened before the camera was turned on was considerably more heated. Crown counsel Samantha Norton asking the witness what was being said. The witness, Tracy Lee Buzial, saying Taylor said, go back to your effing country. And I hate Asians. Please get a life. Buzial then testified Please. the accused yeah. spat in Edward Hur's face twice. A story that hasn't changed since she first spoke to Global News in 2022. Asking her, don't have your dog pee on my door. 
and then she takes it to that level and turns it on him and it becomes this racial, you know, it was horrendous. So back to your country. The video doesn't show any of that. Edward Hur testifying he turned on his phone as the altercation unfolded. Okay. And according to his testimony, wasn't even going to report the incident to police. Defense counsel David Karp trying to sow seeds of doubt in both his and the witness's testimony. I'm suggesting to you there was nothing to report because it was a harmless comment made to you, which said, in Canada, people love their dogs, and if you don't love dogs, you can go back to your country. Her responded, that is on the video, but before that, she said racial comments. The business owner did not want to talk about the incident outside of court. Sylvia Taylor took the stand Thursday afternoon and admits to what she said captured on video, calling the comments cruel and ignorant. But she denies ever having sworn at Edward Her, denies saying that she hates Asian people, and denies having spit on the sushi restaurant owner. The trial continues Friday. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The Richmond counselor who put a supervised consumption site on the agenda says politics, not health policy, are at play. This after a raucous week at Richmond City Hall saw angry protests and counter-protests over the issue. Travis Prasad reports. People are losing their lives because of this, and that's the disdain I have for our political system here. Strong words from the city councillor who put forward the motion that led to this. Clashes at Richmond City Hall, a polarized response to a proposed safe consumption site at the city's hospital. Councillors all in favour. Council voted 7-2 to two in favour. All of this, just to be told by Vancouver Coastal Health, they won't be signing off on a standalone consumption site because not enough people would use it. He believes politics got in the way. We've got two members of council that looked at their own political aspirations and went against this. Now we have the Premier who's perpetuating this based on his own political interests. He's putting politics well before people that are dying. Caving to pressure, he says, with hopes of hanging on to the three Richmond seats the BC NDP won in the last provincial election. How much of this would you say is health policy versus political play to not move forward with something like this in the city? Well, we're, we're in an election year in British Columbia, and there are always those that are going to use discussions like this in the community to torque them one way or another for their own political interests. The goal for our government, and for me, is quite straightforward. Is keep people alive, give them the opportunity to get into treatment to rebuild their lives. We have a premier who was in his different roles, quoted as saying, one person lost from this is one person too much. I guess 26 is acceptable for him. Meanwhile, Vancouver Coastal Health insists there was no political influence in their decision, saying Richmond simply does not meet the criteria for a fixed consumption site. We've been consistently monitoring the data in Richmond and in all the other neighbourhoods, the North Shore, to determine whether or not these services are needed. If we had felt that they were needed or a standalone site was needed, we would have established it. Travis Prasad, Global News. RCMP and Community Safety Unit officers raided four cannabis stores located on Comox First Nations land on Vancouver Island. The owner of one of the shops says the four independently owned and operated stores were raided Wednesday without warning and all of the cannabis products were seized. The Community Safety Unit is responsible for the compliance and enforcement of BC's cannabis regulations. 
They are taking photos and they're packing up all of our product and boxing it away. Where? I'm not sure, but uh, they're packing everything up and taking it. We know that there are um, 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 stores operating uh, that uh, are selling uh, unlicensed illegal product. A lawyer representing one of the shops says the raids came as his client was trying to arrange a meeting with the community safety unit. Well, Surrey's mayor wants to bring a new stadium to town. Brenda Locke made that announcement today at her first State of the City address. As Janet Brown reports, it's not the first time the idea has been floated, but this version is significantly smaller than the last mayor's proposal. I'm happy to announce here today that Council is looking to add a 12,000-seat stadium or arena in Surrey soon. Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke says groundwork is already underway with an economic and feasibility study about to launch on a proposed new arena or stadium. We have a couple of pieces of land in Surrey that are of interest. The mayor is proposing three locations for the stadium or arena. The Cloverdale Fairgrounds, a piece of land just south of the Newton Wave Pool, and here at the BC Lions training facility in Wally. We've always advocated for a stadium in Surrey. It's bad needed we know that. I'm not sure that 12,000 seat stadium is the right number. I think we need to be going bigger if we're going to undertake something like that so we can really attract high level sports teams. The Surrey Board of Trade says now is the perfect time to build a new stadium in Surrey with a number of FIFA World Cup games coming to Vancouver. We need to be ready for FIFA, which is in a couple of years. And we need to be a part of that FIFA ecosystem. And uh, we can do it. And Hubberman thinks the stadium would be ideally located at the BC Lions training facility. It has to be done around a SkyTrain line uh, for accessibility. Uh, so uh, the Tom F. Binney uh, Park area uh, is one of the options that we're proposing. And there could be a shared component uh, with BC Lions. Former Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum had proposed a 60,000-seat stadium two years ago, saying Surrey would one day be bigger than Vancouver. Locke says Surrey's already a sports destination and could reach a population of 1 million by 2042. Surrey is definitely a sports town. When you have a young community like we are, uh, I think you're always going to see that the need for uh, sports and entertainment is high. The mayor says there's already been some interest by semi-pro teams about a new stadium. Janet Brown, Global News. Well, all defendants have now filed their responses to the courts to the proposed class action lawsuit filed by six female municipal police officers who allege gender-based mistreatment. As Catherine Urquhart reports, the defendants deny the allegations and suggest the courts are not the place for the issue. In October, six women police officers filed a proposed class action lawsuit for discrimination and harassment based on gender. Their suit names 13 cities with municipal police agencies, along with the Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner and BC Solicitor General and Public Safety Minister. Now, those defendants have filed statements of defense. We were disappointed, but we're not surprised. Um, these are the responses that we were expecting to get. You know, those that have denied the discrimination, they're relying on technical defenses. The statements of defense are all very similar. Among the responses, the facts alleged are denied, denies that staff, agents, employees, 
were complicit in any discrimination, harassment, or bullying, or any such culture. And this court should decline jurisdiction over all claims in favor of the Human Rights Tribunal. Nicole Chang is not involved in the lawsuit, but has handled other proposed class actions. She says there will be challenges, the cases can take years to resolve, and there's collection of evidence. From going to all these different entities, gathering up the records or emails that may be exchanged, any sort of communication, to finding the relevant witnesses, people who were there at that time, right? Often, you know, people may have left their employment. The main goal is to make the workplace safer for female police moving forward because it's continuing to happen and we have seen absolutely tragic outcomes um, from women who've been trapped in this system. Lawyers for the female officers must respond to the legal filings by end of month. A decision on certification of the proposed class action lawsuit isn't expected for several months. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. BC United is promising a rent-to-own program. Lots of current renters will now have an opportunity to get into the housing market. Kevin Falcon lays the foundation of his campaign ahead of the fall election. How his housing plan is aimed squarely at first-time buyers, next on the NewsHour. I think the public has the right to make its own mind up about whether this is a moral and ethical practice or not. Animal welfare advocates calling for an investigation. What was found in a trap line near Merritt? Plus. Just really questioned where the black community was when we have big cities like Toronto that have big, vibrant black communities. A new film exploring the legacy of Vancouver's black community and the efforts to preserve and build on the rich history. That's still to come tonight. First, though, housing affordability will be one of the big issues in the October provincial election. And BC United leader Kevin Falcon is going all in early. As Richard Zussman reports, Falcon is rolling out his party's four-part plan to fix what he calls the NDP housing crisis. As BC United attempts to build momentum, the focus is on housing, the big ticket item, a rent-to-own program, BC United committing to set aside 15% of new housing for first-time buyers. The new owner would spend three years making down payments at market rates. 100% of that money would go towards a down payment. In a typical year, if we have a good year of home building, the private sector can build 40,000 homes maybe. And 15% means 6,000 couples have an opportunity to get into their first home. The opposition also promising changes to the property transfer tax, making first-time home buyers exempt from the tax for up to $1 million of the home's value, a saving of up to $18,000. It is crazy that we are saying to people trying to buy their first home that we're going to penalize you with up to $18,000 in taxes. But economists warn making a change like this could have unintended consequences, leaving an impact on neighbourhoods like this one across B.C. When we, we implement policies that create more demand, it does put upward pressure on prices. The plan also includes offering nonprofits and market home builders 99-year leases on unused public land at a buck a year to build below market rentals and eliminating the PST on all new residential construction. 
South Urban Development Institute still reviewing the plan. Does this allow for increasing the supply of housing and also creating more affordability with housing? Housing Minister Ravi Kalon says he's looking at what's not in their political rival's plan. What I didn't hear in their plan was why they would still get rid of the speculation and vacancy tax. But more is coming. BC United said to add many housing planks to the foundation before the formal start of the election campaign. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And Keith Baldry joins us now with more. Uh, Keith, the Premier set out the legislature agenda mm -hmm. today as well, and housing will be a key part of that. Yes, indeed. So David Eby at an event in Langley today saying the upcoming legislative session is going to see about 20 pieces of legislation tied to such issues as housing, health care, affordability and public safety. Housing very much a, a big focus of the session and the budget next week. Today, the Premier, again, sort of contrasting the NDP's approach, which is to go all in on government building housing compared to the BC United's approach of really favoring and incentivizing the private sector to build housing. And David Eby using the examples in places like Singapore and Vienna as examples of why governments should be constantly building housing, not necessarily just the private sector. Here's the Premier. This is a, uh, an initiative that used to take place in Canada. You know, we built housing for soldiers returning from war. We built uh, rental housing using tax credits. We built co-ops and government just stopped doing it. And it's something that Singapore never stopped doing and Seoul, Korea never stopped doing and Vienna never stopped doing. And Singapore has 80% home ownership. There's millions of people on a little island. Uh, they have way more land constraint than we are, and people can actually afford to buy a place in Singapore. Uh, if they can do it, absolutely we can do it in British Columbia. So get used to hearing from David, Premier David Eby and United Leader Kevin Falcon talk very much on the issue of housing. Uh, look for next week's throne speech to touch on housing as well. That's on Tuesday afternoon, followed, of course, by Thursday's budget. We'll have full coverage of that, of course, throughout the day. All right, looking forward to that. Thanks, Keith. Coming up, renaming Powell River. I think it's about time that uh, the city here um, catches up. How the city is considering a big step toward reconciliation and why some are against it. Plus, these traps are hidden, they're often scented. A controversial practice caught on camera. What the trapper used as bait that's raising a lot of questions. An emotional debate over the name of a B.C. city is coming before City Council for the next major step. Troy Charles has the latest in the ongoing controversy over the future of Powell River. It's been nearly two years since the Klamath Nation asked the city of Powell River to consider a name change. It's a pretty tense time to live here. There's lots of tension in the community around this. The city is named after Israel Wood Powell, superintendent of Indian Affairs for BC in the late 1800s. The city's website says Powell supported residential schools to turn Indigenous children into, quote, useful members of society. Recognizing that the name Powell is uh, associated with colonialism and oppression and re-traumatizes Klamath Nation members as well as other members in the community who aren't Indigenous. I think it's really a move in the right direction. It's a good way forward. Thursday night, City Council will vote to finalize their strategic priorities for the next two years, which includes a line saying, hold the equivalent of a referendum to ask, do you support a name change for the city of Powell River at the 2026 municipal election? The majority of people here really are very open and they just want an open process. And you're always going to have the 5% outliers on both sides. 
The Kwame Nation welcomes a public opinion poll and are optimistic. When we go to these meetings and there are maybe five naysayers and 320 people in orange shirts wanting name change, um, it really shows that we have a very high level of support in this community. Some residents are hopeful the community will choose to keep the Powell River name. We're not trying to put down First Nations by any way. We are just here because we believe the name should stay the same. Our whole goal is to allow the citizens and the taxpayers of Powell River to have a vote on the name, not nothing else. The Kwame Nation says regardless of the outcome, it will continue to call its home T-Squat, which means Big River. For us, it remains as is. Um, for the city of Paul River, um, that's up to them to, to decide. Troy Charles, Global News. Now, Powell River would not be the first B.C. municipality to change to a First Nations ancestral name. In July of 2022, the village of Queen Charlotte became the first in B.C. to name to change its name to Dodging Geeds. That came 13 years after the Queen Charlotte Islands were officially renamed Haida Gwaii. Returning place names to their ancestral titles is identified in the U.N. Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People as an important step toward reconciliation. Well, there are ethical questions tonight about activity at a trap line in the Merritt area. A hiker came across a dead horse being used for bait. Although it's not illegal, as Paul Johnson reports, animal rights advocates are concerned. And a warning, there are some disturbing images in this story. This video was produced by the Toronto animal advocacy group Animal Justice. It's based on footage that appears to have been captured by a trail camera near Merritt late last year. In it, you see a man working around an animal trap line, perfectly legal in B.C. What bothered Animal Justice, though, was the apparent use of an entire dead horse as bait. We found it shocking that an entire horse carcass was being used as bait for a trap. I have never seen this before and I'm not aware of this being a practice. Camille Labchuk is a lawyer and executive director of Animal Justice. Her group has questions about the ethics of how the horse ended up there and how it died. And also about whether it's legal in BC to dispose of a dead horse in this way. They filed complaints with the SPCA and the Conservation Officers Service last month. To us, it certainly raises major concerns under environmental law that this horse carcass is simply rotting away on Crown land. The BC SPCA confirmed they got the complaint, but on investigating were told that the horse was killed humanely and that it's actually allowed in BC to use a horse carcass as bait on a trap line. Labchuk says, irrespective of what authorities find, the situation depicted in the video should prompt people to decide for themselves whether they think it's ethical. I think this matter um, touches across Canadians of all demographics and should be a matter of extreme public concern given the truth about trapping that we're now seeing with this video. We reached out to the BC Trappers Association and the Conservation Officer Service, but didn't get a response in time for this report. Paul Johnson, Global News. Up next, catastrophic losses in Okanagan wine country. It's very serious and uh, people need to know about it. Why 2024 won't be a very good year. Plus, 
Coming up in sports, Tiger Woods' first tournament of the year. How he did at Riviera. Well, last month's cold snap could have a long-term impact on B.C.'s wine industry. As Taya Fast reports, there are estimates of an almost 100% crop loss across the Okanagan Valley. This vine is considered dead, so we have to pull it and replace it. Each blue ribbon marks a vine that is no longer viable at Le Vupin Winery in Oliver, damaged by extremely cold temperatures back in 2022. You have to imagine it as a, a, a flash freeze. Like it's when you you're put a piece of uh, some vegetables in the freezer and then they freeze they and then the, the alive tissue becomes black and there's no way for them to come back to life. But that cold snap was nothing compared to the Arctic blast that blanketed the Okanagan this winter, freezing the vines once again. We already had a decrease of around 54% of the crop uh, valley-wide. A new report says BC's wine industry is anticipating catastrophic crop losses of up to 99% of the typical grape production due to January's extreme cold snap. Well, in fact, we're not expecting any crop at all. So it's uh, it's that was the dire news. We're uh, a catastrophic collapse is kind of the term that uh, we're using and uh, uh, stunned disbelief, I think, is the best to how to characterize how the industry is feeling and reacting to it. The report says production this year is estimated to be one to three percent of typical yields, with most of that coming from the Fraser Valley and Vancouver Island. But because most of the grapes are grown here within the Okanagan and it was the, the heaviest hit, that's why uh, we're with confidence able to say uh, uh, it looks as though a total loss for uh, the crop for uh, this coming fall. And wine experts say it will have a terrible impact down the line as it takes a vine around three years after planting to produce grapes. And even though the exact extent of the damage won't be known until bud burst around the end of April, Pont says the industry needs help now. It's dramatic for the wine industry. We all have infrastructure, we all have staff, we all have people to, that depend on us to, to leave. And uh, it's, we don't take it lightly. It's very serious and uh, people need to know about it. TFS Global News, Oliver. Fingers crossed for a busy ski weekend. How Okanagan re Resorts are hoping the North Shore's loss will be their gain this Family Day holiday. Plus. So the community in Hogan's Alley of Black Strathcona was just quite vibrant. A new documentary uncovering Vancouver's destroyed black community and the work to reestablish it. Hills in the Okanagan are hoping the lack of snow on the North Shore Mountains will be a boon for them this Family Day long weekend. This will be as busy as Christmas, New Year's, and of course the locals are going to show up because we're approaching a 200 centimeter base. Back at Christmas time, if you remember, we were shy of 150, so this means all our runs are open, all our lifts are open. So this could be the busiest weekend in our history if Mother Nature cooperates and the sun comes out. On top of the Monday stat holiday, many schools are also closed tomorrow for a professional development day. Accommodations at Big White are already 98% booked for the weekend, with a lot of visitors coming from the Lower Mainland. Apex Mountain Resort accommodations are 100% booked on the hill. We have the conditions, we're ready. It is going to be a busy weekend. We have a Noram Mogul event up here as well. Um, but other than that, the skiing is so good, we're anticipating just a lot of smiles. 
Local skiers and boarders are being advised to get to the hills early to make sure they can find a decent parking spot. All right. Well, senior meteorologist Christy Gordon is here with a look at our weather forecast. Is that snow I see behind you? I, I feel like it might be. Mm -hmm. Can you guess where it is, though? I need my oh, glasses. Wait, other than the location key on there. <laughs> well, I can't Victoria. read it anyway, so. Is it Victoria? I can't even Victor read it, so I'll trust you. <laughs> It's Victoria. Um, just quickly jumping back to this story that you saw. Michael J., yes, we've got sunshine on the way for you this weekend. But this was Victoria today. Thank you to Kyle Wilson for that. Uh, can you hear me still? Oh, yeah, you can. Okay. Um, big flakes falling, but in terms of accumulations lower down, it really didn't. It was mainly the higher elevations that saw the accumulations. So, um Sorry, everyone. I had a little bit of a problem with my IFB. So if anyone's trying to talk to me over there, you can't hear, I can't hear you. But this was a snow over higher elevations, and it was just on cue as we were certainly expecting that snowfall. I wanted to just quickly mention weather window at globaltv.com is a great way that you can send in your photos, but we're also hoping that you'll send in some great video also, uh, because really video is what is shows us the snow falling and things like that. So uh, don't forget to share your video and make sure that you turn your phone sideways because that's how we can best show your video here on television. All right, this system really mainly impacting the far southern regions of the province, but otherwise we are expecting clear skies, cold again tonight, but this next system will move onshore. We're expecting sunshine tomorrow and for the Okanagan on Saturday as well, but for uh, the south coast area, we'll likely see cloud cover with a few showers developing late in the day, but I know a lot of kids have the day off tomorrow, so that's great news. We'll see sunshine across the region. Um, we are expecting increasing cloud through sort of the afternoon hours, but it's not going to be complete coverage. We're expecting just a mix of sun and cloud by the afternoon for the south coast area. So eight degrees should be our daytime high as you head into your Sunday or Saturday, mainly cloudy. The showers developing late in the day and just light showers expected Sunday and into our Monday also. But that's some good news. We'll get some moisture on the local mountains, which is well needed. Tonight's central windows weather window is exactly where I would love to be right now, Sophie. This is Slocan Lake, Silverton. Thank you to Trisha for that beautiful shot. Okay, that is gorgeous. All right, thanks, Christy. <clears throat> Excuse me. Are you okay? I'm getting choked up. You need the Heimlich maneuver? I think I'll be okay. Okay, good. Let's not do that on TV anyway. No. Uh, what have you got coming up? Uh, well, the Canucks' third line has been great, but tonight it's going to miss Dakota Joshua, who is out with an upper body injury. Yeah, he's going to be hard to replace. He's a, you know, he fills a lot of, checks a lot of boxes for us. He had a three-point night in his last game, but he got hurt during a fight in that same game with Chicago. Thanks, Squire. Also tonight. Simon Davis Jr., Ella Fitzgerald, Louis Armstrong, all these people coming through the doors of Buys Chicken and Steak. Hogan's Alley, past and present, bringing black history to the big screen later. I was just typing... You're very good typer. Random letters. You weren't even looking at the keys like I have well, to. I wasn't making any um, sense in my typing. I was just making noise with the oh, I keyboard. Okay. So I wanted to look busy. Well, you were busy. You <laughs> looked busy. You had me fooled. Okay. So when the Vancouver Canucks host Detroit tonight at Rogers Arena, yes, they're back in town. They're playing home games again. They will be missing a third of their much-heralded third line. Dakota Joshua is not going to be able to play tonight. He had that three-point game against the Blackhawks earlier in the week. Barry was down at Rogers Arena today, so he has more about the Dakota Joshua situation and the game itself against Detroit. 
The first place Canucks have made their own breaks this year, but one area where they have been fortunate is the uh, lack of injuries to key players, with the exception of defenseman Carson Soucy. But today we found out Dakota Joshua is going to miss at least tonight and possibly longer with an upper body injury suffered in a fight the other night in Chicago. Covers Joshua, another right hand. Checks a lot of boxes for us. You know, he's a really good penalty killer. Um, him and Garland, obviously, last two, three months, they, they got a connection. They, they get a lot of loose pucks. Dak's got a good stick. You know, he did, you know, he stuck up for Garza and I, like, those are, that's a tough, tough to replace. So we're going to have to do it as a, a pack mentality. To, to replace him. With Joshua out, Ilya Mikheyev will jump in with Connor Garland and Teddy Bluger. Mikheyev is in a massive slump. He hasn't scored since December 17th, 22 games ago. For Mick, give him a chance on that line. Maybe you get two hardworking guys. Maybe he can stay close and, and get something going for himself. This will also be the home debut for Elias Lindholm. After two goals in his first Canucks game, Lindholm has gone quiet, but he looked better in his last game when he was part of an all-Swedish combination with Elias Pettersson and Nils Hoaglander. It's been a while since I played on a full, full Swedish line, but uh, no, it's fun. I think uh, obviously they're a little younger than me, but um, you know they're a lot of energy and, and um, obviously playing with Hoaglander uh, last game uh, for the first time, uh, you know he's, he's been really good so far. So. Uh, you know, so far it's been super fun to be here and, and uh, obviously we try to talk uh, English as much as possible uh, even though we we're out there. How did you call them both Elias? I mean, call them whatever, EP, PD and Elias, Lindy. It's a little bit hard, but um, it works out. The Canucks are on a 12-1-3 run over their last 16 games. That is why they have a four-point lead atop the standings, but they will get a good challenge tonight from the Red Wings, who are top five in goals in the NHL and right now are in a wild-card spot in the Eastern Conference. At Rogers Arena, Barry DeLay, Global Sports. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt your typing. <laughs> okay. We'll carry on. I'm focused. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Nikita Zadorov is back from a two-game suspension for a high hit on the wings, Lucas Raymond, last Saturday. Now, Zadorov is big. He's 6'6". He's around 250, depending on what he had for lunch. And that is why he has to be careful when he hits people, because most players are smaller and their heads can get in the way. But Zadorov has learned how to be a designated hitter. It's a, it's a specific skill set. I think what I had through my life, I mean, in Russia, we were able to hit people when we were six and seven, so it's not like North American, uh, the minor hockey, you know, when the kids start hitting at 13, so it's not enough time for them to adjust. But I think it's, I mean, I'm, I skate pretty high. I'm just trying to hit the people through middle of their chest. Yeah, if I cut a head, it's, I mean, it's, it's just the size difference. They don't suspend for that. Longest is the main, main contact is through the body, then it's, it's fine. Little Tiger Aww. and Big Tiger wearing his new apparel. Sunday I like it. Sunday red, yeah. Even though it's all white, Sunday red is what it's called. Oh. And, uh... There he is at the Genesis sink and putts, but he had some back spasm issues, and here's an example of what happens when your back seizes oh, up. Ay no. yeah. Oh no. Now I can say I've hit a shot just like Tiger Woods has hit, <laughs> but he does save himself. This is on the 18th today in round one. Splits the trees, gets it on the uh, green. Had a bogey there, but 
plus one, 72. Not bad, considering he was battling his back and he hadn't played this year in a PGA event. Adam Svensson, minus four. Adam Hadwin, minus two. Nick Taylor, minus one. Patrick Cantlay leaves at Leeds. Make that at minus seven. Uh, Geno Smith is going to have a great day tomorrow because the Seahawks will allow his contract to become guaranteed, and that means he will get... $12.7 million next season. That doesn't mean he might not be traded by Seattle before next season. But the way new offensive coordinator Russ Grubb is talking, Smith may be kept by the Seahawks' new coaching staff. Um, I, I've been impressed with, you know, his decision-making. I, I thought, you know, last year in 22, I think he led the league in completion percentage. I think that says a lot in this league. He's got the ability to be accurate and, you know, make good decisions, and that's what you know, ultimately, you need a guy that can lead, be smart, tough, and dependable, and, and make good decisions. And I think Gino is more than capable of doing that. I said Russ Grubb. His name, obviously, is Ryan Grubb. I was a bit distracted. By my typing? Well, I don't want to say that. I blame the keyboard. It's a loud keyboard. It is a loud keyboard. Okay, thanks, Squire. You're welcome. Just ahead, the Vancouver neighborhood you probably know very little about. The subject of a new film, next. All right, Jordan Armstrong is in the newsroom with a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Sophie, the CEO of WestJet is apologizing for accessibility failures. The apology came during a House of Commons Transport Committee hearing in Ottawa today. Perhaps the most high-profile WestJet failure involved BC Paralympian Sarah Morris-Probert, who had to haul herself up the air stairs rather than being able to board using her wheelchair. I've spoken to Morris Probert, and she is not satisfied with the CEO's apology. You'll hear from her tonight on Global News at 11. Sophie? All right, thanks for that, Jordan. Hogan's Alley was once the vibrant home to Vancouver's black community. But when the viaducts went up, the neighborhood was destroyed and the residents dispersed. As Jay Durant shows us in This is BC, a new documentary tells the story of the community's demise and how it's slowly been rebuilding ever since. So many were sent far across borders to be sent across town. I wanted to commemorate uh, the, the original Hogan's Alley neighborhood, um, but also have it be a familiar name. Union Street may have just been released, but it's really been years in the making for filmmaker Jamila Pomeroy. I really grew up kind of searching for a sense of belonging. I just really questioned where the black community was when we have big cities like Toronto that have big, vibrant black communities. Celebrities who come here when they were denied service at other places, Sammy Davis Jr. Her film celebrates the spirit and energy that was once so prominent in the neighborhood. Incredible musicians were coming up from, uh, from the states. Sammy Davis Jr., Ella Fitzgerald, Louis Armstrong, all these people coming through the doors of Vice Chicken and Steak. While chronicling the challenges faced when the area was raised for new development and the construction of the Georgia viaducts. A mass exodus out of the uh, Black Strathcona and Hogan's Alley and we saw just people disperse with, uh, within uh, the GVRD. That displacement has left a void in Vancouver. There's no hub of like, this is where black people are. Like every other culture has that in Vancouver. This is the time for a new beginning. But Pomeroy's documentary is also showcasing the hard work being done today by community members. It is so beautiful to be here and to see businesses like Rise Up come back to the historic neighborhood. And the efforts to preserve and build on that rich history. To be able to continue the legacy that has been cut off, it's such a profound blessing. 
There's a lot of really incredible uh, people within the black community, really great businesses, and it's our job to really foster those community members and help build a better future. It shows a lot of young people this incredible history in a way where that elevates us, that shows the diversity of experiences. And I think it's an incredible moment in time and I get a love letter to Vancouver. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, don't forget to email your ideas to jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. All right, Christy, hoping for some snow on the North Shore Mountains for this Family Day weekend. I know. I wish I had more control over this weather thing, but I just don't. <laughs> uh, at least we're going to see sunshine. So that's a great way to uh, get out on the slopes tomorrow. A lot of kids have the day off tomorrow and we will see a little bit of uh, flurry activity out there. We're not totally uh, void of snowfall. It's just not quite enough. We need more, right? We need more before the season ends. Mm -hmm. Hope. Fingers crossed. All right. That's mm -hmm. it for us tonight. Thanks for joining us tonight. Have a good night, all.